Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. You also share a lot of intimate details about Jesus' life and ministry that are not found in the other gospel accounts. And so you see the four gospels, they're all similar, and yet they're separate accounts, each serving a different purpose in presenting different aspects of Jesus' life and ministry, but all are relaying the very same message of the redemption being offered to fallen mankind and yet found only in Jesus alone. There will be times where the gospel accounts overlap, such as all four gospels give an account of the ministry of John the Baptist. All four gospels give an account of the baptism of Jesus. All four Gospels give an account of the feeding of the 5,000. All four Gospels give an account of Peter's denial of the Lord. All four Gospels give an account of the arrest and the trials of Jesus. All four Gospels give an account of the crucifixion of Jesus. All four Gospels give an account of the resurrection of Jesus. But there are also certain things that are very different and unique to each of the Gospels. Only Matthew describes Joseph and Mary's flight into Egypt. Matthew chapter 2. Only Mark tells us of the healing of the blind man, which was done in two stages, Mark chapter 8. Only Luke tells us the parable of the lost son, Luke chapter 15. And only John relays the account of the raising of Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. And yet these differences do not in any way change the overall gospel message. Even though they're different, they're still presenting one coherent message. They, they, they simply, each of these Gospels simply fill in and complete each one and complement one another as they're taken in a whole. And yet, taken individually, none of them lack the complete message of the Gospel itself. Now, I want to clarify something to you, that when I speak of these Gospel writers, please don't think of them like authors today, like when you pick up a book. Oh yeah, they wrote these things down, but when I'm using this term, please understand that I'm not taking away at all from the very fact that God was the one that moved them in the writing of these things. It was the Holy Spirit that was really penning these scriptures for us, and yet he chose to do that through these human men. And, and all of their personalities play into this. All of their focuses play into this, and yet it's still being motivated push, not just push, but I mean being done through the Holy Spirit's work in their lives. The Holy Spirit is the author. These guys are just the scribes that are writing it down. And yet they weren't just auto-scribing. They weren't just like, you know, hearing the Holy Spirit and writing, oh, what do you want to be put down? I'll put this down. No, they're writing from their whole heart, but he's moving within their hearts as they're doing this. But now as we dig into this particular gospel, the question that we first have to ask is, who is Luke? Who is Luke? Well, Luke has the unique distinction of being the only New Testament writer who was not a Jew. He was a Gentile believer. And other than Mark, he was also the only other gospel writer who was not counted among the original 12 disciples. So while some suggest that he may have actually been among the 72 other followers or the 72 other disciples that Jesus sent out on a missionary journey, as Luke will talk about in Luke chapter 10, 
His own words elsewhere seem to negate that possibility that he was in that mix. Luke also reveals to us in these first few verses that he was not an eyewitness, but that he's a researcher of the events. He tells us that his gospel is the result of thorough and exacting research, which he has undertaken in order to give an accurate account of everything from the beginning to the end of Christ's life and of his resurrection. And so, therefore, we can assume that that Luke was not following Jesus around, but he is a subsequent convert. He came came to faith in Christ at some point after Christ had initially worked with the original disciples. And But he's an early disciple. He's an earlier follower, just like we're disciples today day if we're by faith following Jesus. And other than this, there's no other background given to us about how he became a follower of Jesus, but it's clear that he was a disciple of Jesus at the time of this writing. In fact, Luke was believed to have been a protege and traveling companion of the apostle Paul. Furthermore, we know that he was a trained physician because Paul reveals that to us in Colossians 4, 14. In Colossians chapter 4.14, Paul reveals that little tidbit of information to us that Luke was a physician, and many even believe that he may have been the Apostle Paul's personal physician. It may have been why he traveled with the Apostle Paul. Some even believe that Paul and Luke might have been classmates at the university that was located in Tarsus. We don't know if this is actually true, but at the very least, we do know that Luke was a gifted scholar because both his medical credentials and his writings validate this. As one commentator said, Luke employed the most exacting Greek of any of the gospel writers. Now, when did Luke write his gospel? Well, while we don't know the exact dates for certain, we can make some valid assumptions based on the timing of the writing of the book of Acts. You know, when you look at the book of Acts, um, you'll find that, um, again, in the book of Acts is Luke's other book of Scripture, but, but the book of Acts records the highlights in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. And the book concludes with Paul at Rome awaiting trial before Caesar, and it ends by saying this. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 28 in verse 30 and 31. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Now, since Paul's death is not recorded at the end of the book of Acts, which Luke wrote, the inference is that Acts was written while Paul was still alive. And since there's good evidence that Paul died in the the Neronian under Nero's reign, and particularly during Nero's persecution around AD 67, the book of Acts can be dated approximately AD 62. Follow my logic here. This being the case, if Acts was written around AD 62, and it is the companion book to the Gospel of Luke, both of which were written to this man named Theophilus, then we can reasonably deduce that this Gospel was written sometime around AD 60 or before. In fact, a case can even be made for an earlier dating of this book because in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 18, Paul makes reference to a brother who was well known among the churches for this gospel. And, and we have, or for the gospel rather, not for this one, but for the gospel. He says there in, in 2 Corinthians 8, 18, and we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. 
There's an ancient belief, an ancient testimony that Luke is the brother that Paul is referring to here in this verse in 2 Corinthians 8.18, that he is the brother whose praise is in the gospel. And if that is true, then it suggests that Luke's gospel might actually have been written in the mid-50s of the first century based on when uh, the, the book of 2 Corinthians was written. But even more compelling, a significant number of credible Bible scholars, including guys like A.T. Robertson, hold the view that the Gospel of Mark was written before Luke, with Mark being one of the earliest of the Gospels written somewhere between the 40s and the 50s. They also believe that Luke may have drawn some of his research from Mark's Gospel. This being the case, it would give further support to Luke's Gospel being written as early as in the mid-50s. Now, after all of that, which you're probably going, oh, that's nice, but that's really theological, and you just told us, don't worry about all the theological stuff. Why would it matter? Why does it matter that we know that? Well, here's why it matters. It matters because it does away with the late dating notion that's being promoted by liberal scholars in regard to the Gospels, who in many cases promote a late dating in order to bring into question the accuracy of the counts being presented to us. Remember, the further away the actual events from the actual events in the eyewitness accounts that a historical account is written, the less reliable it tends to become. So if you write a gospel 200 years after the events occurred, it would bring into question the accuracy of what's being written. But based on what I just shared with you, at the latest, Luke researched and wrote down his account less than 29 years after Jesus lived, and possibly even less than 22 years after. This means that even though his writing was based on research, it was coming from eyewitness accounts. He wasn't talking to people fourth and fifth hand, you know, four and five generations later. He's talking to the actual people who would have walked with Jesus during this time. It was coming from eyewitness accounts that were relevant relatively close to the time in which they saw the events occurring. He would have written it during the time when eyewitnesses, both friendly and unfriendly, were still alive, at a time when these eyewitnesses could either verify or falsify the information contained in the Gospels themselves. In other words, this makes the account that Luke wrote to us, that we now have in this Gospel that we're studying, accurate by any scholarly standard of historical research makes it absolutely accurate by any standard of historical research. Folks, I'm just going to tell you guys, you know, despite the muddying of the waters that a lot of antagonists of the Bible try to stir up with their scholarly sounding and yet poorly supported conjectures, the Bible has and continues to be one of the most reliable and accurate books known to mankind. Accurate than many of the history books that have been written. And yet we find these people who are constantly trying to undermine it. And, and many of them come out of religious circles, even claiming to be Christians these days. And yet the history and the record of these things tells us that these, these accounts were written close to the time in which Jesus lived, to the time in which they were witnessed by any historical standards. They're accurate. And as we look at the Gospels, because of this, we can be assured that we're getting an accurate picture of who Jesus was, who he is, and what it is he came to do. And really, the things that he says that he is still presently doing on our behalf. So if you really want to know the good news, and that's a good question. If you really want to know the good news about Jesus, do you really want to know? <laughs> but if you do, 
then you don't need to look any further because all that you need to know about him is contained right here in these ancient yet supernaturally accurate and preserved writings. They'll, 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 they'll more accurately reveal Jesus to you than any book ever written by men or some Discovery Channel program will ever reveal to you or even some religious programming. I mean, some of the worst accounts of Jesus' life are the stuff being produced by Christian producers today that, that add all kinds of other stuff into it that's not reflected in the Scriptures. It's fun. It makes the narrative better, but it's not always true. You want to know truth? Turn to the Scriptures. And I just gave you the reason why they're valid. So with that reality in mind, we're going to begin digging into this book. We're going to meet Jesus who's fully presented to us in these pages. And we're going to discover the message of good news that's contained herein. And that's where we'll pick up next week. We'll pick up in Luke chapter 1 and verse 1. We'll begin working our way through the Gospels. And uh, we'll take a look at who Jesus is. Those of you who have your faith in him, you know, You probably are saying, well, I already know who he is. That's why I have my faith in him. I'm just going to tell you from my own life, there isn't a day that goes by. And I've been been a believer now since 1975. That's a long time, probably longer than some of you or even many of you weren't even born yet when I placed my faith in Christ. But you know what? The longer I am a Christian, the more I'm still learning about Jesus the more I'm learning about who he is and what he's done and, and, and the work he's still doing on my behalf. But you know where I'm getting that from? I'm getting my understanding of him as I look in the scriptures. And as I look in the scriptures and I see the truth and I have the confidence in the reliability of those scriptures, the Holy Spirit is then able to take those scriptures and to, to explode them in my heart and in my mind and in my life in such a way that even though I may not see Jesus with my physical eyes right now, I know him. And I know his presence. And with each passing day, I look forward to seeing with my physical eyes. That's why I started today by saying, you know, we finished all the discussions on prophecy and I was sort of hoping the rapture would have happened by now because I want to see him, because I want to see this one who I fully believe in and am confident in, as should you. But our confidence grows the more we look at these gospel accounts. Praise the Lord. And there's no better time for us to to surround ourselves in the Gospels than right now. Right now is where our focus needs to be on Jesus. Do you know that? I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. I wrote a piece the other day just on Facebook and just how frustrated I'm getting with all of the conspiracy theories and everything out there. Look, I'm not saying that some of the things we're reading or that we're seeing might not possibly be true. I can tell you a vast majority of it is not. It doesn't take much to figure that out as you hunt it back. But even if it's true, do our eyes need to be on all these things? Do they need to be on all the conspiracies? Where should our eyes be? You know, I think as we look at Jesus gathering the disciples in, in um, Matthew, it gives us the account where he institutes the Lord's Supper. But in Matthew chapter 26, um, beginning in verse 17, Matthew 26, beginning in verse 17, it says, Now on the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep my Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. They were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. 
The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man who by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, you have said it. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When you think about that night when this took place, all of the intrigue that was going on, I mean, Jesus even baited it a little bit, right? When are you guys going to betray me? But it's beyond just a betrayal. I mean, there's no greater intrigue than a betrayal, right? But beyond the intrigue of that, they're living in the Roman Empire. There are, there are Caesars ruling that, that are typical of Antichrist. All of the things, you know, could have, could have captured their attention. All of the events that were about to take place could have captured their attention. And yet, what is it that Jesus wants to do with them? He wants to gather them to himself so that he can focus them on him. And he does it around this table. After all of this discussion of an intrigue that's going to take place, he brings it back, and I emphasized it as I said it, but he says, take, eat, this is my body. Take and drink, this is my blood. I won't drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it with you anew in my father's kingdom. All of the emphasis was on himself, drawing the attention of the disciples to himself because that's what he knew he needed to do. Because if their attention was on everything else, they'd get distracted. They'd become really fearful, more so than they already are. They'd become more unsettled. All the intrigue, all of the stuff would capture their attention instead of the very thing that Jesus wanted to capture their attention him, the work of redemption that he was going to do for them. You know, there is no greater time for us to be in a gospel. And we're going to spend however long it takes going through the gospel. But even as we start this morning, just with the introduction, there's no better time for us to be getting our focus back to where it needs to be on Jesus and the work that he has done for us. That's why I spent so much time this morning talking to you about what the free gift is, what it means, what the gospel really means, what it's all about. Because my heart is to focus you back right now in this time of seeming intrigue and darkness and plots and everything floating around out there. Now you're living in the last days. I'm not taking away from that at all. We're living in the last days. I believe that. I say that without apology. We're clearly living in the last days and not because of some specific plot that somebody can give to me, but because we see the very things that Jesus talked about to his disciples in Matthew 24 playing out around us. The, the, the birth pangs beginning, whether we don't know where we are in that spectrum, but we see those things. But you know what? Jesus never wanted his disciples to be so focused on those things that they got their eyes off of where it really needed to be. Him. Yeah. His work of redemption for them. Why? Because he knew it would dispel their fears? Yes. 
because he knew that it would get them focused on right things so that they could begin to grow in him? Yes. So that they could then, with their focus on him, accomplish what it was he was calling them to do, even in the era of intrigue in which they lived? Yes. And all three are so true for us today. Our eyes focused on Jesus, not just as we're gathering like this, but through the week, our eyes off of all the other stuff, but on Jesus, in his word, in our prayer, in our time, in our meditation, thinking on these, thinking on the things that will edify, thinking on the things about him, will begin to dispel our fears. It'll begin to draw our focus to where it really needs to be. And it'll begin to give us and build within us the heart of the message that we're to proclaim in the midst of darkness, in the midst of intrigue. Look, the intrigues are going to play out. The plots, if they're out there, they're all going to play out. The Antichrist will one day come. The Antichrist is going to do his thing. He's not here. We're not going to be here when he gets here, but we sure may see a lot of the ramp up to it. But you know what? Even when that's happening, our focus isn't supposed to be on that. Our focus is on why we are here, and we are here to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that may be consumed by God's judgment and by the dark things of intrigue. I'm reminded in Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 1, it says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I know we look at that passage, and we often refer to that when we're talking about just enduring, enduring, enduring. And it is absolutely applying to that. But you know what? There's another message in this. This is where our focus needs to be, on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's everything in between. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that's where our focus needs to be, on Jesus, the one who authored our faith, the one who will finish our faith, and everything that he's doing in between with us as his people. And when we're there, then guess what? All of these other things... The, the things that weigh us down. I don't know about you, but I read some of the responses of people on social media and everything else with all of the conspiracies and everything else. I see a weight. I see fear. I see people being drugged down by it all. It's ensnaring them. They're not running with endurance anymore. It's distracting. It's pulling off from where? Our focus really needs to be. Folks, I'm just telling you, get your focus back on Jesus. And as we commune together this morning, this is about Jesus gathering us in the midst of a world filled with intrigue. The world's always been filled with intrigue, but in the world filled with intrigue. And he's saying, come, come and get your eyes back to where they need to be so that I can be the author and the finisher of your faith so that everything in between that I'm doing in your life will be your focus, that I will be your focus. I, it's my body, it's my blood, it's my work, it's what I've done. And now it's my calling that I want to give to you to take this same good news that you have to the world that's around you that is being affected by everything else that's out there. Folks, we above all people need to have our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so this morning, if you've got those elements with you, and I would encourage you to do that, if you don't, run fast and go get them <laughs> because this is our time of reflection. And you know what? If you didn't have them ready, let me just encourage you, even when we're done, get before the Lord. Break bread. Just take the cup with him. I don't have grape juice in the house. Fill it with something else. 
I don't have bread. Find a cracker. Find something else you can use. It's not about the specific emblems we're using, but it's about what they represent. Jesus' shed blood for you, his broken body on the cross for you to give you the hope and the good news that you can find salvation and have eternal fellowship with God. If you'll receive them, if you'll receive him, if you'll receive what he's done for you. And it's also the message to us that he's inviting us to come and to be in communion with him, continually in that place of safety. You know, during the tribulation and those of you who have been studying prophecy and you've been with us as we've moved through Revelation and other passages, you know that I am a pre-tribulation rapture person. I believe the church will be gone before the tribulation begins. And do you know what's going to be happening with us while all the intrigue of this earth is going on? We're going to be sitting with Jesus. We're going to be taken away by our bridegroom. The bridegroom spending time with his bride in solitude with him, totally enraptured by him. We're not even going to be paying attention to what's going on. We won't even know what's going on this earth. And we wouldn't want to know, even if we could, not because it'd be too fearful for us, but because we're too enthralled with Jesus. Shouldn't it be that way all the time? Shouldn't it be that way for us now that we're just enthralled with Jesus? And that's where our focus is, not on everything else, just him. Let these emblems speak to you of this this morning. His broken bread, this broken bread that speaks of his body broken for you, this cup speaking of his blood that was shed for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.